0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The indictment of President Trump in Georgia is, of course, the top story. Please don't get it twisted. The top story in America is the Biden crime family. What Joe Biden knew, what Hunter Biden was doing, how this government is covering it up. I will never, ever, ever let that go away from the Daily Conversations, guys. It is the Daily Conversation. It is imperative. And what we saw from uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, in appointing uh, David Weiss, giving him that special counsel status, was meant to obfuscate, was meant to prevent us from knowing more about what it was Hunter Biden was doing regarding Joe, what Joe was giving a a wink and a nod to, and how much money was flowing. I will not stop discussing it. But Trump got indicted in Georgia and it's under a RICO statute and 19 people are being charged and co-conspirators. The whole thing is surreal. And that's what makes it so important that it's different than January 6th. It's different uh, than the Alvin Bragg indictment. It's different, different uh, than the case regarding his documents there um, uh, at Mar-a-Lago. This is a throw the kitchen sink mentality and really a mentality that should have us questioning exactly where we are as a nation, that people are so desperate to destroy him, so desperate that they will do anything. Souls have been sold. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Would love it if you join over there. Be a supporter. Greatly appreciate it. TonyKatz.com. I spoke with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor. He heads up LegalInsurrection.com about uh, this indictment. I wanted his take. I wanted his full take. Now, if you want the full interview, I'll have it over at tonycats.com uh, uh, but I want to share this with you. What is what is it that a law professor, what is it that somebody who works the legal system daily thinks of this insanity in Georgia and does it have any teeth? You you they threw the kitchen sink at this mother sir they threw the kitchen sink at president trump at giuliani at jenna ellis at the former chief of staff uh mark meadows at trump's personal lawyer john eastman who was trying to come up with strategies ideas and thoughts no matter how outrageous you may think they were uh, about uh ways trump can challenge what he thought was a wrongdoing in this election break it down for me what do you see In this case from Georgia, what are they utilizing as uh, their their evidence here? And just as uh, in the big overview, how does this differ from, say, the January 6th indictment from special counsel Jack Smith?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I mean, the Georgia case is throwing the kitchen sink at Trump and over a dozen other people. Uh, That it's kind of a shock and awe strategy from the local district attorney in Atlanta. And it's actually very troubling. Uh, you know, I think that of all the indictments, this is the one that smells the worst to me. This is so openly political. This is so very much trying to criminalize politics, criminalize legal practice, et cetera. Now it's a 90, almost 100 page indictment. And haven't committed it to memory, but I have read it. And there are some discreet acts there which are really not attributable to Trump, uh, such as allegedly impersonating a public official, things like that. Put those aside. Those could have been charged separately. But essentially what they've done is they've weaved together a story, taking a lot of perfectly lawful actions and calling it a conspiracy and a racketeering uh, offense. And it's very troubling because it's very chilling. Uh, So John Eastman had theories which I didn't accept at the time. Most people didn't accept. But you know what? That's what lawyers do. Lawyers try to come up with innovative ways to achieve the result for their clients. Same with Jenna Ellis. Uh, There were um, attempts made to influence political actors to go along with Trump. But that's not illegal, that happens all the time. People talk to people to try to convince them. And in this case, nobody was convinced of anything. Uh, there was no end result there. So it, it's extremely troubling that she threw so much at so many people. It appears that it's an attempt to take down you know, the entire Trump movement, as opposed to uh, what the federal charge is, which is only against Trump, relatively narrow compared to this and really focusing on specific uh, items and specific actions and so, so what do you, it's just troubling
0: what do you make of uh, you know one of the things that i thought was interesting as people have described this indictment is that certainly in on january 6th you had to take the actions of trump and try and stretch them to reach where there is some possible illegality. Or you have to take the law and try and stretch it to connect to Trump. We take a look at Alvin Bragg in New York. You had to stretch what the law was to be able to get to a felony to then be able to get Trump, and it's very barrier in, in, in that sense. You know, the leader of Stalin's secret police, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That's what Jack Smith seems to be doing in Washington uh, in with as special counsel. That seems to be what Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, seems to be doing in new york in georgia they do have phone calls they do have text messages so in 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 there's this argument that there is something different in this indictment in that it's not based on a stretch it's based on the things that actually happened do you have that same take
1: well the federal indictment in dc says they have text messages and says they have emails and says they have recordings and they have conversations. So what is the difference? What is the, there's really no meaningful difference other than in Georgia, there are some, like I said, discrete alleged crimes, impersonating an officer, somehow trying to gain improper access to a computer system. Whether those are proven is a different story. But, uh, so that does make Georgia a difference, but the core claim of a quote unquote conspiracy to overturn the election is really the same in Georgia as it is in the D.C. lawsuit. So you're going to have two different jurisdictions, one state, one federal prosecuting essentially the same crime that is permitted because they're different jurisdictions. They're different um, you know, entities. You can have a state crime and a federal crime and they can be prosecuted separately, but it's piling on. I mean, I think that's what it is. If Trump is proven to have unlawfully attempted to overturn the election, as opposed to lawfully. Remember, there are many things that you can do that are lawful to overturn an election. You can challenge them in court, but those court challenges are now part of this indictment. You can challenge them by talking to officials and trying to convince them that they're wrong. That's not illegal, but that's part of this indictment. There's even congressional procedures that you can use to challenge electors. So my concern here is that it's a total piling on for political purposes. Now, that is not a defense of Trump's conduct. I mean, two things can be right at the same time. One is that his conduct was indefensible after his court remedies were exhausted. And I wrote that at Legal Insurrection in mid-December of of 2020 that it was time to move on towards the next election so you can condemn his conduct his obsession and his false statements about the voter fraud or the voting fraud uh, and at the same time say they weren't necessarily criminal and you can't loop in the legal advice he got you can't loop in the you know political arguments he was making and make it a crime
0: now let's uh get into what some of this indictment uh, says. This right here, uh, the reporting was from the New York Post. The defendants, 30 unindicted co-conspirators, and others known and unknown uh, to the grand jury constituted a criminal organization whose members and associates engaged in false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing false documents, influencing witnesses, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, acts involving theft and perjury. My God, when we say through the kitchen sink, Adam William Jacobson, Cornell law professor, the mind behind legalinsurrection.com, that's the kitchen sink. My point earlier about, you know, they may actually have some things because there were phone calls, because there were text messages, is that this seems to be the Hail Mary play, throw everything out there and hopefully grab Trump on one thing, and since you're going after all 19 at the same time under this racketeering rule in Georgia, the the RICO predicate as I know uh, how, to, how to say it, um, maybe you could just grab someone somewhere and therefore take Trump down. So So two things. What is this about everybody being charged together because Fannie Williams, the DA there, has said, yes, she's trying everybody at the same time. And is it the kind of situation utilizing that RICO statement, those racketeering statutes, that if they get one, they get everybody?
1: Well, you know, it's not only the 19 people or 18 people who've been charged. It's, as you say, up to 30 additional people, potentially. This reminds me very much of the John Doe investigations in Wisconsin, where they essentially froze for the better part of a year, a Democrat prosecutor, uh, the entire conservative movement in Wisconsin, because they not only went after people, they instilled such fear in, throughout the conservative movement and nobody ended up getting convicted of anything, but it was a political ploy. And that's what this smells like. Uh, naming 18 people plus 30 potential more, uh, seems like an attempt to freeze the Republican party. That, you know, you don't know if you're one of those 30 people. You don't know if the person you're talking to is one of those 30 people. So that's why this smells so bad to me. This looks like an attempt to take down a political party.
0: Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to interrupt you. I never interrupt you. Go back over that again. You're okay. saying that there are, un- she, I think the term utilizes unindicted co-conspirators. And you're saying that the number out there, there's I I don't know what the number is. Uh, You can hit it again. You don't know who it is. You don't know who it could be. So therefore, everybody's going to think that everybody's the unindicted co-conspirator. So they're not going to be able to work together because then Fannie Williams, the D.A. there in Fulton County, could go after them. Yeah.
1: and, And that's what happened in Wisconsin with what was called the John Doe investigations. I think it was about three years ago, I might be off on the number of years ago, but it wasn't that long ago, three to four years ago, where they essentially froze the entire conservative movement by subpoenaing and raiding the homes of uh, you know, conservative activists under this John Doe law, which has since been revised dramatically. It was actually thrown out by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, but they froze the whole movement. And so this uh, suggests to me unlike some of the others, that this is an attempt to freeze the Republican Party, to, or at least the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump, that um, that half of the party now has to wonder if the person they're talking to and communicating with is having their communications monitored because they're one of these unindicted co-conspirators. So it's a, it's a very, to, to do something this broad with this many people, to me doesn't smack that you're trying to actually prosecute somebody. See. If somebody broke into a computer system, they could have been separately charged. They could have been charged two years ago. You know, If somebody impersonated an offer, officer, they could have been separately charged. I'm not excusing those crimes. What I'm saying is to wrap them into this huge bundle and to put so many people into it and to have unindicted co-conspirators uh, to me, looks like they're trying to freeze the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump.
0: Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, of the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, so in a way, I I did have the basic understanding, if they can get one, they can get everybody. And if they can get a jury to say, yeah, that guy did something, therefore, everybody's guilty of everything, Correct.
1: Exactly, and that's the whole, whole point here, that um, if you are in any conspiracy, and RICO is essentially at its core a conspiracy statute, that anyone who furthers the efforts of the conspiracy, even if what you did yourself was not illegal, could be held for the criminal conspiracy. And, that, and that's what they're trying to do by lumping so many people in. They're taking what for particular individuals, might be very weak factual bases. They allege they're part of this criminal enterprise. Uh, now, what they've pleaded for a criminal enterprise wouldn't survive in federal court, I don't believe. But apparently, Georgia has more lenient uh, standards when it comes to their RICO statute.
0: And this and this is this is where the, the rubber meets the road because y- your your breakdown. I accept. I, I, I there were some things I didn't wasn't hundred percent sure of, and I think you, you explained it well. And and I very often deferred to you and 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 your view of these things which don't come from a political basis even though you've got political thoughts and feelings it comes from here's what it says here's what it looks like because this is georgia because this is not a federal indictment and because this is nothing like the alvin bragg case in new york can trump avoid jail time or is this one that puts Trump in jail? I think they're going to try and put Trump in jail uh, from the indictment from Jack Smith, the special counsel. This in Georgia. Do you think Trump's going to go to jail for this? Well, if he's convicted, and, and that we're a ways away from that.
1: Uh, you know, if he is convicted, as I understand Georgia law, uh, we're all becoming experts on Georgia law very quickly, is that there are mandatory minimum sentences under the RICO statute. Um, and that they can't be pardoned by the governor, uh, that uh, you'd have to go through a commission there, a pardon commission, and you have to serve a certain percentage of your time. So it does, and it can't be pardoned by the president of the United States. So, you know, Alvin Bragg um, is a completely garbage indictment. I think everybody knows that. Um, This one, if it goes through, it will have to survive the, Georgia court system. Uh, And I think the U.S. Supreme Court would take a case involving this state RICO statute, although the Supreme Court won't interpret state law, um, it will see whether any federal rights have been violated. And what I think is, if I had one overall take on what's happening, is how outrageous it is that local prosecutors can involve themselves in charging crimes in federal elections when you've already got the Department of Justice doing the same thing. This looks like uh, you know, Georgia is trying to create a backstop, that if for some reason the federal suit against Trump fails, that Georgia will be waiting there as a second shot at him.
0: That was just part of my conversation with Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. You can find everything at uh, TonyKatz.com. And, of course, uh, if you get the podcast, uh, you'll get the full interview as well. Just look for it on your favorite podcast platform. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.
2: So pull me closer. Why don't you pull me close? Why don't you come
0: That's Professor Sheriff to you. you Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on? Peyton Manning. Will return to the University of Tennessee as a professor. Of course, he played at the University of Tennessee, '94 to '97. Then the Colts, great. Then uh, that little stint in Denver where he got a Super Bowl, but just by luck. What we don't say that? Do we not? Do we not say that? I, th- I thought we uh, said that. And now, along with being a, a TV phenom. He is going to teach select classes involving leadership, sports reporting, video production, and communications. Good for him. Good for him. Go enjoy. Go have fun. I love it. I I, I look forward to teaching uh, some of of my own classes. I haven't been asked to yet, but I I would totally do it. Why not? Go have fun. People want to hear from those who have done it now he's got the whole uh, production company. He's trying to, to to build that all out. Go teach. Go do. What? Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones has to be the only guest lecturer, guest teacher, uh, professor somewhere? A full-out live at the 1619 Project. She gets invited? At least, you know, Peyton won the Super Bowls. At least Peyton, you know, he he, he threw the the ball at those kids on the Saturday Night Live skit. Right? He did it. That's the guy I want to hear from. Ah, it's fun. It's fun. It's good. It'll probably increase uh, uh, attendance at the University of Tennessee. By the way, how does, how does Tennessee rank? Like, do we see that as a, as a good school? And where was that on the, on the college uh, 25? Was Tennessee on that list? Hold on. I'm, I'm looking at the list right now. Georgia, the Bulldogs were number one. Um, Tennessee is number 12. Tennessee is the 12th-ranked team in the AP 25, start off the uh, year. So, you know, hes you know he's singing Rocky Top. You know it's going down. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. With all the conversation about indictments, President Trump being indicted for the fourth time, this one... In Georgia, we forget that time is moving and what we have seen over the last few years in the Biden administration has not brought us value, has not brought us value from an economic uh, conversation, it has not brought us value from a, a, a unity conversation, Biden was going to be the great unifier, he has done anything, but uh, But when it comes to the military, we forget that it was two years ago today that the withdrawal from Afghanistan led to to 13 dead Americans, the botched withdrawal, the leaving behind of uh, the uh, people of Afghanistan who helped us Over 20 years and never mind what the bloody heck we did in training a military for 20 years only to then take away their ability to act in the way in which we had trained them. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Morgan Ortegas joins us right now of Polaris. She is the founder of Polaris National Security. P-O-L-A-R-I-S. Polaris-US.org. I met uh, Morgan when she was the spokesperson for the Department of State uh, or helping me arrange conversations with then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and, and others. Uh, two years, which is strange because it it's one of those weird moments, Morgan, where it feels like much longer ago, like it's kind of baked into uh, our history and our memories, but it is a, a an indicator of how rapidly things have declined in a sense of world safety and security and the united states's role in it since biden was elected
2: yeah i think you're so right on these points tony and and it's important that we are very solemn i think about this anniversary uh the administration likes to uh, sweep it under the rug because it was a massive failure for them but it can't be understated how bad this was. Uh, I think that this is the worst debacle in modern American history as it relates to foreign policy decisions. Uh, the, the, it, it echoes you know just sort of how we left Vietnam and and that uh, you know the disgraceful way in which uh, we left and and those mirror images right of the of the helicopters and planes leaving. And we still don't know, by the way, two years later, we still don't have a full accounting of how many Americans were left behind, how many allies were left behind. Uh, we know that you know, women and young girls, for example, for 20 years enjoyed education, prosperity, and business advancement in Afghanistan, and now all of that has been taken uh, away from them. And, and furthermore, we still have no accountability, right? The State Department a couple of months ago on a Friday of a holiday weekend, released a report trying to absolve themselves of, of blame for this disastrous uh, withdrawal. And, and it's just such a slap in the face to the families of the 13 dead Americans uh, that that lost their lives, I believe, unnecessarily. Um, and, and so we still have no accountability. No one was fired. No one, Tony, even had the decency to resign. Right? And there was a point in modern American history where uh, you would resign because of the dishonor. Uh, that you have brought upon yourself uh, for for overseeing such a chaotic and disastrous withdrawal, but instead, what you've seen is everyone circle the wagons in this administration and sort of say, "Hey." Nothing to see here, folks. Let's move on. It really wasn't
0: No one bad. ever gets fired. No one ever resigns. There's never any accountability. And the military falls into further and further disrepair. But it's, you, you bring up an, an interesting point. We don't have an accounting yet of how many Americans we left behind. And we, are, we should all be clear. We absolutely left Americans behind to deal with yes. the Taliban on their own. And we absolutely left our Afghanistan partners behind to deal with the Taliban on their own which meant to either be tortured or a certain death.
2: That's, that's absolutely right. And not only that, we know from the testimony of various, various military generals uh, that we are less safe. Uh, first of all, there has been, according to a report that I read just yesterday, there's been uh, 65 confirmed uh, people that have gone um, uh, security risks uh, from Afghanistan that have entered our country um, uh, you know, and, and and that's just what we know of, right? These are these are people that were sort of, you know, dumb enough to get caught, right? Uh, Getting through. We know that ISIS K, ISIS Khorasan, uh, has a foothold in every province in Afghanistan, and military generals routinely testify uh, that America is, uh, is is becoming more and more susceptible to an attack on the homeland. Um, because the capabilities of al-Qaeda and ISIS uh, in Afghanistan are improving. So it is, um, it, it, you know, basically what happened is President Biden said, withdraw at all costs, right, and damn the consequences. And, and that's what happened. But it's a it, uh,
0: withdrawal at all costs and damn the circumstances. I want to make sure I got the quote right. But that's different than whether or not we should have left Afghanistan. There is a moment... Where leaving is the right thing to do. We've done all we can. Is there anything that we can say about the idea of leaving that shows that maybe our 20 years there didn't actually provide the result we were looking for?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's important to note that we in the Trump administration, uh, under Mike Pompeo, uh, we very famously negotiated with the Taliban. President Trump gave us the directive to draw down. But there were very specific things uh, that the Taliban had to meet, including not killing uh, any Americans, which did not happen for 18, 19 months under our administration. We didn't lose a single American life in Afghanistan. So there were metrics and things that had to be met uh it, it wasn't like you could draw down no matter what right uh and if the taliban did not meet those metrics then uh then the withdrawal you know would cease um and, and so it was conditions based and i think that is that is the key difference is uh did president trump uh, absolutely want to get americans out of afghanistan and, and america's longest war yes but mike pompeo was ensuring that we would do it responsibly and i can tell you what really haunts me As someone who worked directly for Mike Pompeo and traveled around the world with him for two years, I know, Tony, that this never would have happened on his watch. It did not have to end this way. He would have never let it end this way.
0: Talking to Morgan Ortega, founder of Polaris National Security, uh, Polaris.us.org, former spokesperson for the U.S. Department of State. Let's talk military. I engage these conversations on radio often because so many people don't. You know, it's one thing to say we've got the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen. It's one thing to say our fighting force is going woke. But you have to dig into the nitty gritty of what China is trying to do regarding uh aircraft carrier, ski jump technology going deep blue, building out a navy, threatening the territorial waters in the Taiwan Strait and in other places trying to make sure they have full control of the South China Sea and the Yellow Sea and the shipping lanes and what it is we're doing as the United States with our navy which is only at about 251 254 ships not the 290 that we actually have never mind the the, the numbers like three, 300 plus or 340 that we often hear are is the right number of ships for a Navy to have. In totality, where do you see the U.S. military right now? Where do you see the opportunities? Where do you see the issues? And what what should this administration be doing about those issues?
2: Well, there's, you just hit on so many great things. Uh, it, it's hard to believe that we had a 1,000-ship Navy not that long ago, right, under President Ronald Reagan, and we had fallen – in such disrepair and, and and we've fallen so short um and we can't even you know here's one of the main challenges even if we threw all the money in the world at the problem and tried to tried to get up to 340 355 380 right various assessments on what the right number is where where we need to be uh even if we threw all the money in the world at it we don't have the shipbuilding capacity right now in the united states and when you look at uh, all of uh, all of the shipyards in the United States and their capacity equal just one shipyard in China, and, and and so we are we are just being dwarfed by them. And then, really, I think the most pressing national security challenge um, is our is our recruitment uh, problems within the U.S. military right now. I mean, just m- m- not meeting our goals on the recruitment side by double digits. And the administration, unfortunately, is throwing money and financial incentives at the problem, but I don't believe that people join the military uh, just for financial incentives. I mean, certainly uh, having the access to the GI Bill and getting your college paid for and great health insurance, those are all perks that our men and women in uniform absolutely deserve. But it's not the only reason and, and not the principal reason that they join. So, the administration is, is you know, if you look at this as a, as a product or a commodity, right, from a marketing perspective or a branding perspective, kind of like Bud Light, right? they have ruined the brand. And so, you have people, you have policies uh, that have been put into place that, that people don't agree with. You're turning off the natural consumer base of people who would join the military. And then, finally, as we talked about at the beginning, Uh, with the fall of Kabul two years ago, you saw people that did multiple deployments in Afghanistan that looked up and saw this chaotic and and, and just heartless ending and said, well, wait a minute. Why did I lose a limb in Afghanistan? Why did I lose a friend in Afghanistan? Why did I lose several years of my children's upbringing in Afghanistan uh, for what, right? And so that disillusionment will cause people, parents for example, who would normally say, yes, I want my son or daughter to join the military to say, you know what, I don't think it's worth it anymore. And that's where we have a, a generational challenge. And this administration again, keeps throwing financial incentives uh, at the recruitment problem when whenever the problem isn't a financial one, in my opinion.
0: When uh, we talk finances, you know, you can discuss the idea of what soldiers are getting paid. We can discuss the idea of how we uh, fund our defense. We saw the National Defense Authorization Act. We saw more money go to that uh, than than ever before. Uh, but I, there, there's still a question of whether or not we fund smartly whether we're fully engaged okay. in the cyber warfare that is coming from China and and from Russia which cannot be denied on the daily on a daily basis the attacks coming towards the United States daily are uh, gargantuan uh, whether we're discussing you know uh, the rebuilding of ships we have uh, the USS Boxer an amphibious uh, uh Ship that we spent two hundred million dollars on and still isn't seaworthy. We have, of course, what could be described as the domestic terrorism regarding the USS Bonham Richard uh, that was in dock in San Diego, and someone started a fire, and the ship simply uh, burned into a mess of twisted uh, metal. Um, Is there a will within this administration to proactively solve some of these problems? Or are they in, in multiple levels of disarray because their attention has been pushed to some of the other subjects we see, for example, the wokeness?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I saw a very startling comment um, by the, I believe it was the Secretary of the Army, when she was addressing these uh, recruitment uh, issues. Uh, and and in, in the article, it was addressing the fact that one of the major uh, bases for recruiters, uh, the, the pools in which to draw from are the children and grandchildren of people who have served in the military. And she made some sort of statement, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that she didn't think that was good because she didn't want to create this quote-unquote warrior caste in America. Uh, and, and my jaw nearly hit the floor whenever I read that statement, and it, and it just went to show to me uh, they just are are really clueless about uh who they are marketing to who wants to join the military um it, it, and and i think that you know there is uh there is a desire by both sides of the aisle uh, to go after china to compete with china uh, and so i think that that part that part is good right you have the bipartisan china committee but until uh, both sides are are realistic and honest uh about our assessments including what type of reform is needed Um, on the private sector side, right? As it relates to military companies and and civil uh, sector reform within the Pentagon. um, You know, we are gonna continue to, I, I feel like that I'm howling at the moon, Tony, you know, saying, hello, we can't build ships, we can't build submarines, we're not recruiting. You know, we are we are not in a state of readiness uh, for war, God forbid, if it were to break out uh, over Taiwan. Uh, I, I sort of feel like I'm howling at the moon, but I think I'm so glad that you bring it up because I don't think that I can talk about it too much. I think that everywhere that I go around the country, you know, I don't live in Washington. I don't live in the Beltway, live in Nashville, Tennessee. And I think it's so important um, for Americans to understand these issues to understand how uh, how much of a pickle and how how bad we are in uh how bad shape our military is then not as a political tactic to hit the administration over the head but instead as a warning guys we are on track to lose a major war and so we must reverse course
0: yeah you can't say it too much it's it's impossible uh to discuss it too much it is that real it is that in our face it's that uh dangerous morgan ortegas Polaris National Security, the founder Polar, oh, sorry, Polaris.us.org uh, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us Much more to get to, keep it right here I'm Tony Katz, this is Tony Katz today The one good thing you could say about the millennial generation is that they had an understanding very quickly of, not style style's not it but of their worth. Now, some of them, of course, uh, believe that their worth was more than it really was. They were impractical about it. They weren't, um, you know, grounded about their worth. But they had an idea that their money was worth something, and if they were going to spend it, they wanted to spend it on something of value. They wanted the story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, great to be with you. So, uh, for example, farm to table. They wanted to know where their food was coming from. They wanted to know the story. And, and that's good. That's good. That made sense. That they wanted to have some kind of connection to it. Uh, same thing was true with beer or, or with spirits, specifically in the bourbon world. We've talked about this a lot on my cigar and bourbon show, Eat, Drink, Smoke. It's the largest cigar and bourbon uh, review radio program in the country. Uh, that They wanted the story. They wanted the connectivity, and they are part of the reason of uh, that, that bourbon has, has so well exploded and, and so many spirits, specifically tequila. But I was interested to see that now uh, Millennials Gen Z are in the watch game. It's a story about how Rolex cannot keep up with demand. I'm sorry. If we're talking about luxury watches and, and, and the finest stuff, you, the, the Rolex story is a very, very different story. And I promise I will bring people in to break this down. Rolex's manipulation of the market where they have stores where they're like, here, here are five Rolexes, you can't sell them. All you can do is show them off, you can't sell them. And then you'll have shops that don't sell them because you have to get on a list. And to get on the list are, well, what kind of client are you? And that determines where you are on the list, unless you're a celebrity, in which case you're top of the list. It is nuts. The Rolex market is nuts and far different than anything else in watches and some of the other watches clearly are better timepieces in terms of the technology in terms of the skill set involved but rolex is rolex rolex as a brand uh man uh, where how do you beat that i own two and i don't even own the fancy stuff i do own a 59 oyster perpetual which is completely awesome oh it's glorious glorious but that's not the story that we're talking about it, that people are getting into watches is great. But this Rolex story needs much more detail, and I will bring that in the days ahead. Find everything at tonycats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.